You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. TechMan Podcast number 381, David's top 10 list for television shows, Nike auto lacing shoes, and naughty Facebook again. Tech Fan Podcast number 381. I'm Tim Robertson, and there's David Cohen. Hello, how are you? I'm great. I'm looking forward to the second segment of the show in which we get to your top 10 TV shows of all time, because we did mine last week. Yeah. Of course, yeah, I can see your list right now. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, when you actually sit down and try and do this, it's hard to narrow it down to 10 shows. So um, it, it was difficult. We also have some feedback on that topic yeah. that when I, because remember I said I repurposed this from something that I posted on Facebook. Yeah. And I've got quite a few comments and I thought it'd be worth going through those as well because there's some yeah. shows on there I was like, oh crap. <laughs> well, that's that's the problem, isn't it? Is, you know, um, I, I mean, I, I, I really had to also impose some rules on myself to actually narrow this down in terms of you know there's not a lot of very new shows on there because i thought to myself there's some stuff you like at the time and then it doesn't age well uh and sometimes you need a bit of perspective on something to decide whether it really is as good as perhaps you might have thought at the beginning totally agree so, in fact there's yeah. a couple on your shows that for me went the opposite direction that i really yeah. like then and i don't now so yeah. it'll be fun to talk about and there's sure a glaring, glaring hole in my list that someone put on theirs, and I was just like, I cannot believe that's not on my list anywhere. That's, yeah. I, I almost decided not to record Tech Fan ever again <laughs> because of this glaring error. I was so embarrassed. Uh, but let's, yes, massively ashamed. Yeah. Well, let's start here. Speaking of Facebook, yeah. um, this is kind of a pretty damaging story for facebook themselves yeah so there is as we know multiple lawsuits against facebook but a judge uh, unsealed a trove of facebook documents specifically related to um underage i.e minors uh spending money on facebook when they really shouldn't have right so so and we've heard this type of story before where you basically kid gets access to parents device um parents device is, is hooked up to a credit card and and in the past it's been like google play services or our uh the app the app store on on uh, that and they end up not really either inadvertently or on purpose and thinking it's okay um spending yep. money on in-app purchases or games or things like that and racking up a big bill yep you know, and normally what happens is, uh, particularly if it gets into the press, is that, uh, you know, the company apologizes and refunds money. Um, and, and certainly over the years, I think, I think everybody has gotten much better at putting controls in place to allow parents to prevent this from happening. Um, I had no idea that Facebook itself sold 
games and in-app purchases through its platform. But then I wouldn't do because I'm not a Facebook user. So I am a I- Facebook user. Um, a long time ago, every team. See what happens is if you don't, if you're not a participant in blocking certain content, you're going to see it a lot. And for a long time, I was seeing a ton, a ton of invites for this game or this person's had a high score in that game. And that's what my timeline was filling up with. So every single time I saw a new game, I blocked that game. And to the point now where I don't see any of it ever. I don't, I've kind of forgot that that's a thing on Facebook. But no, it's a platform. It's not just for sharing pictures and recipes and commenting on Tim's top 10 television shows of all time list. It's really about money. And that money, a lot of it comes from both advertising and this. Right. Well, see, I had no idea this even existed. I thought Facebook was all about the advertising. But the problem with this, what what these court documents revealed is certainly a concerning attitude inside Facebook towards this happening, which basically was they, they refer to children who run up big charges as whales. Yeah, a Las Vegas gambling term. Yeah, and, and a whale in Las Vegas is somebody who spends a lot of money. Yeah, yep. and damn the consequences. So. Yep. For a start, the fact that they're using gambling terms inside Facebook for people to spend a lot of money um, suggests perhaps a lack of concern. Um, and and then basically the uh, the these things these basically these these documents reveal uh, email exchanges where people go, oh, you know, um, uh, are they thirteen? Are they under thirteen? No, they look like they're over thirteen. Don't refund the money. Um, it's uh, they, they weren't sending receipts. Um, the the mechanisms they have for disputing charges frequently didn't work. Um, it, it just basically the whole thing is just a, a, a nightmare of uh, a company that doesn't care uh, and treats its uh, so the people in this department were treating their customers yeah as just revenue and um, a complete dissociation behind the. The social impact of what they were doing and the difficulties they might be causing people, and it's oh, it's just money they should know better. Yep, and it's pretty, uh, it's pretty disgusting. Yeah, um, for you know, I know a lot of people like to uh, kind of sweep aside some of the things that companies like Facebook and Google and uh, others do um, and, and kind of say, well, it's just the business and, you know, everyone knows that what they're getting into. It's just like, well, you know, a lot of these companies don't behave very nicely. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is just another thing that goes on top of the troubles that Facebook is facing at the moment. You know, it's easy for a child to see that if they click this little button here, they get more coins and it's a game. It doesn't feel like real money to them. And I would like to think my children are more wise than that. And in fact, I know they are, but there's a lot that are not. Well, the the problem is the whole, the whole issue here with these games is that it's a different currency. It's not dollars. It doesn't make it clear. It's dollars. It's virtual, you know, virtual coins or tchotchkes or whatever. And it's sometimes sometimes very difficult, particularly for unsophisticated users, to tell the difference between what is something that the game has just made up and is giving you, uh, and what is real money. I mean, uh, if you've ever played uh, online slot machine apps, 
you can get them on, on you know, any of the uh, any of the uh, phone platforms. And right. actually, you know, if you want to get a, if you want to get one that instructs you how um, bad it is to play slot machines in terms of how much money you'll lose, get one that that gives you like virtual coins. And, and just see if, how long it takes you to come out ahead, if ever. And it will teach you never to play a slot machine again. But yeah, the slot machines is, are money pits. Yeah, exactly. But the problem is you could download one of those, particularly a free one, yeah, and you could think it's a virtual currency. But if you're not careful, yeah, you could find that actually it's hooked into your, your um, credit card account from your from the provider you got it from, and it's actually spending real money. It's very yep. difficult to tell because the ones that spend real money don't say we are spending real money. They don't picture your credit card. No, they hide the it. going down. Yeah, you'd know, but these don't. So, what is the? Do you think regulation is the answer? Because it's obviously it's not going to be self-regulated. These companies aren't going to change anything. They've got all these 12-year-old and 9-year-old whales out there that are spending real money and they're refusing to refund money. We've got we've had a long-standing problem with with regulators and governments treating stuff that happens online as different from real life. Yeah. But it's not. The same thing is that she, you couldn't go into um, you should not be able to under consumer law go into a store and and um, be asked to pay in plastic buttons yeah and then find that those plastic buttons are being valued as real real currency by the store they won't let you do that no they would say no that's uh, you're you're misleading the customer you're not allowed to do that you have to give the right services you can't build them for things they don't know about and all of this sort of stuff and yet online it's allowed to happen and everyone goes oh well you know it's just the thing um, yeah. I, I think the time is coming where basically all of the consumer laws that apply to the real world need to be pushed forward into the virtual world. But how does a place like Facebook, how do they compensate for every single country they're in? Think about the massive amount of laws that each company or each country has that's different from another. How do you walk that fine line? That's their problem to deal with. That's that's a problem they have to solve. They keep Facebook likes to tell everybody that they have the smartest people on the planet working in their platform. So uh, time to apply those brains to those problems as well as some of the other ones they they, they want to solve. Yeah. Maybe you and I should just start our own social network. <laughs> what do we call it? <laughs> the Grumpy Network. <laughs> yeah. That would work. That's, the, that's what the world is missing. It's a place for all the people who hate the internet to come. And yeah. Uh, well, that's. I think you just kind of described the internet, actually. <laughs> yeah. The next story that you put in here, this whole last week, uh, these shoes have been popping up everywhere. Uh, the Verge had a thing on it They where they actually had some video. That's where I learned about this shoe. Yeah. Um, it's it's CES time, so these stories are yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead and describe what this is. So this is um, uh, Nike's attempt to uh, build the Back to the Future shoes. Everyone who uh, of a certain age who saw the second Back to the Future movie rem- remembers that the way they presented the future um, was it was it meant to be twenty years in the future from eighty nine? No, it was thirty. 
because they went years, back yeah. thirty years and they went that's forward. Right, thirty that's years. Went forward thirty years. So when when Marty McFly gets into the into the thirty years into the future and he gets gets the clothes that the kids of that age are wearing, he has things like a a jacket that will inflate uh, that is self sizing and will adjust itself to his size and then inflate and dry out if he gets it wet and that sort of thing. And and he also had Nike shoes that he put them on and then they um, they did themselves up and. Uh, October 21st, Nike's 2015. Been, yeah. So Nike's been working on these uh, more recently. And I think I, I think they had a, a special edition run of these uh, a, a few years ago. But they they've, been refining, they've been refining the concept. Um, and this the article I read, which was I think was the Verge one, was quite interesting. Because it's one of those things you kind of think, okay, so they've... Uh, sorry, I, I tell like it wasn't the, the Verge, it was TechCrunch. Yeah. Um, which I, I now oh yeah here we go the second first time I went to the, they redirected me because it's TechCrunch, um, so uh, the the article on TechCrunch was quite interesting because once you get past the you know oh well, they're just copying the Back to Future idea and everything and you try and understand what they claim they're trying to do with these it actually becomes more interesting because it's not just kind of a lifestyle gadget they're talking about the fact that um, in basketball apparently I I've never played. Uh, anything remotely like professional basketball so uh, i was not aware of this but apparently the 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 fit of the shoe for a basketball player is really important so much so that that getting a a, a very tight fit that almost makes the shoe, shoe feels like it's custom molded to your foot is so important that the the coaches will often do the player's shoes up in the in the changing room before the game but the problem then is that means they can't release that pressure during the game so they can often get swelling and that sort of thing and and they, they can actually become more uncomfortable for them for them to play during the course of a game because they can't just quickly unlace and, and relace their shoes and so nike is actually looking at these as, as professional athlete shoes for basketball as shoes that that can give you that kind of tightened lockdown effect uh using using motors and that sort of thing but also allow you to release the shoes whenever you want to to kind of release the pressure on your feet and what what kind of really brought this to my mind is um you know i as i mentioned on the show before my wife had that emergency surgery a few months back and she still can't bend down to tie the type of shoes so the surgery is in her back uh and she really struggles to do her own shoes up and and that got me thinking well actually there's probably quite a lot of people with mobility problems who would like to have a shoe that's you know well done up well, it's not just um, uh, a handicap, permanently handicapped yeah, or temporary, exactly. but it's here's the practical thing. We got a lot of snow uh, Friday night into Saturday morning. I mean, a lot of snow. We got like a yeah. foot. And it was, I mean, you know, a, a lot of snow causes problems. So I uh, need to just, let's say I need to go outside for just a few minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I get all my crap on. I get my boots on. Now, if you've never worn big snow boots, um, they're heavy, they're bulky, and they're a pain in the ass to, to tie up, especially if you've already got all your other snow gear on. Yeah. Imagine just, oh, it, oh, so you go outside, you do the shoveling, you come back in, and before you do anything else, you have to take your boots off because it's got snow all over it and you yeah. don't want to trek through the house. Well, just imagine... Uh, just to take off one shoe, I mean, they're super laced. They're laced all the way to the top, right? Yeah. Uh, and and that's a good five inches above my ankle because these are tall. Yeah. You have to have tall boots because it's snow. Yeah. Um, to untie them, 
It sounds like a, a simple thing, but it's not just untying them. You have to loosen all the laces, make it nice and you know wide, and get your foot out because you got probably a good thick sock on in there yeah. as well. So it's a five minute process to get these heavy boots off, and you're freezing. Yeah, you're cold. Imagine standing there pushing a button; they just completely open up, and you just step right out of them. Yeah. Imagine skiers walking up to a ski lift. Put your foot in, goes right in. Don't have to do anything. There's no clamp. I mean, the practical applications of this technology, um, and like I like what you put in the show notes. Once you get past the snark reactions, yeah. Um, the 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 practical applications are enormous. I think yeah. that something like this, when you get past all that stuff, I think this could be a benefit to society. I really do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Tim, come on. How long does it take to tie your shoes and untie your shoes? Come on. Well, you know, that's easy to say when you don't have a mobility problem. My mom, when I was growing up, when I, when I was two weeks old, my mom had a massive stroke. Mm-hmm. And she could never move her left arm again. She had to learn to do everything with her right arm. Now, maybe that doesn't sound like a, a big handicap to you or me. Well, it does to me because I grew up with it. But think about how much things that you do with both of your hands. Now, imagine, think about typing. Think about uh, putting toothpaste on your toothbrush. Yeah. I mean, right now you hold your toothbrush and you squeeze the other tube, right? Well, mm-hmm. imagine having to put the toothbrush down and putting it on there without the stupid thing flipping over. Yeah. I mean, it's it's those kind of things that you don't even think about because you don't have that handicap. You don't realize the real world implications. Now think about tying your shoe with one hand. How how tight do you think you could really get that laced up? Especially if you got to, yeah, especially if you got to go walk through a foot of snow. Yeah. So the practical applications for someone like my mom would have been enormous. Would have been just, it would have been game changing. So, I don't like to get too snarky when it comes to stuff like this, that when you really stop and step back and look at the implications of this type of technology, and not just this, could you not use the same kind of technology to make your coat or your gloves fit better? Or, I mean, how far could you take this kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty cool. I really do. I I do too. And um, I look forward to my first pair of self-sealing shoes. The cost, obviously, is going to be a factor. But like anything else, the more widespread it becomes. Um, yeah, the cheaper it becomes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think, I think if Nike were, were truly um, in this for the good, they would, they would patent it and then let anybody use it for nothing. Yeah, well. They won't do that, but... No. No, Nike are, are a corporation, and they want to, you know, recoup, recoup their investment on this. Even if they said um, it's a dollar for every other company to use it for a yeah. pair of shoes, fifty cents per shoe, they'd they'd make more money than they've ever made. But here's yeah. the other aspect of this, though, David. You have this lithium-ion battery in the sole of your shoe. When's that battery going to die and go bad? Do you have to get new shoes then? Can you just replace the battery? What about disposal? We don't want to start yeah. filling up the dump with a whole bunch of these kind of batteries. So there's practical um, solutions for what this is solving as well, i.e., yeah. you got to think about it a little bit farther down the line as well. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. But this is we're at, we're at the early days of this. Yep. Um, and we'll see whether it be, ever becomes a thing or not. Well, people say, well, what about the battery situation? Oh, you mean like the phones that every single person in the world has now? Yeah. Like that? Yeah. <laughs> it's a cool story, though. Yep. Would you, if these were a hundred bucks, would you get a pair? Oh yeah, absolutely. Me probably, too. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably you know, a little bit more expensive than that, but um, you know. But having said that, I, I, I think I think Nike's strategy to get it right for athletes is is probably the right one because if you can get it right for a demanding uh, application like athletes, then that 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 gives you a better platform to then uh, commoditize it and roll it out more to other people. Yep, absolutely, and that's yeah. that's where it takes a company like an Apple or a Nike or a Google to really take a technology and, you know, take it to another level because it's just too expensive for a small company to do. It really is. Yeah. Last week, David, we talked about, um, airplay kind of taking over CES that Apple, uh, seemingly made a lot of agreements and a lot of, um, partnerships with a lot of different manufacturers to start putting, airplay in other companies devices yeah and we got some feedback on twitter on this uh mm-hmm. tom schmidt said uh, uh for him it's the interface he tried rock uh, roku and fire tv and found them clunky and with movies anywhere it doesn't matter where you buy movies uh movies anywhere is a service that people can buy digital copies uh i've never really tried it much i've it's. I just get my stuff on iTunes usually if I want to buy it for good. Yeah. Uh, Alyssa um, Paselli said, uh, I've heard good news about Roku t- TVs, but I'm not taking a chance again. It's easier to buy a separate TV and Roku and, Roku, uh, and know it will work. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point, really, is that the agreements, we've, we've not seen the TVs yet. The agreements that were signed were to, al- to bring... Um, to bring AirPlay support and uh, and iTunes like you know iTunes DRM effectively support to these TVs, it did not specify that Apple would be designing the software interface. Very. I would assume that they're just providing a um, an API that exactly. they can start including. So so you're still going to be stuck with the smart TVs interfaces for doing this, and some of, a lot of those are not great. So, Mike McPeak no. said. Uh, uh, the Fire TV I bought on Black Friday is working really, really well. Um, so this is built in. He said it's basically a Fire TV baked into a TV. Yeah. And I, I mean, a Fire TV is just a little stick. Yeah. That you plug into the HDMI port and power via USB. It, it's super simple to build something like that into a television. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa also said I use Fire TV or I use a. Fire Stick and Roku on my other TVs. Apple TV is overkill for me since I buy nothing from iTunes. That's a good point. What's the point in an Apple TV if you're not living in the Apple ecosystem, i.e. you're not buying or renting content through yeah. iTunes? That's, um, that's pretty much my experience. We have an Apple TV downstairs, but I got it for free. I won it in a competition. Yeah, I remember. Uh, and we we don't use Apple services on it, except for AirPlay. We AirPlay to it all the time. But um, we don't we don't use the iTunes store to buy stuff, um, and I have basically anything I buy for my iPad. If it has an Apple TV version, it ends up on there because it kind of self populates. But we don't really really use any of them. 
But you also have to remember that with an Apple TV, with AirPlay, you can take anything that's on your iPad and kind of, if it supports it, put it up on your TV, including some games. That's right. So um, presumably a TV with AirPlay support would continue to let you do that, even if you didn't use iTunes. Um, Tom Schmidt said, I happily have a combo of YouTube TV, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and CBS All Access on my Apple TV. All internet-based and works great. So even if you're not buying stuff from Apple, you could still use an Apple TV to get access to all these other streaming services. But it's only in the last 12 months you've been able to get Amazon on there because for a long time they held out. Yep. Um, and, the, you know, the, the different – the advantage a smart TV has over Apple TV or, or a Roku or anything else is that um, the content providers are more likely to cut deals for support with a smart TV company than they are with a uh, – a, a, a competing a platform. Who's competing with them, yeah. Yep. Uh, Alyssa also said, we have a Samsung smart TV. The apps do not work. Once our free year with a cable box is done, I'll buy a Roku so we can use the Spectrum app. I'll never buy a smart TV again. I, I have to say that um, she's probably in the minority there. I don't know anybody who's bought a smart TV and the apps don't work. Usually they're, yeah. they're pretty robust, most of them. Uh, well, I, I've had good and bad experiences um, with, it, but it very much depends on the, the particular TV line you buy. True. Um, I think I wouldn't less, buy anything from Samsung if I could help. Yeah, it. well, I think the problem is the less successful lines, even from a company like Samsung who does a lot of different TVs, they may have, they they will make internal changes that aren't visible to us in terms of what processors or what operating systems they're supporting, and if they change strategy, that can leave your TV out on a limb, and then you don't get good support. Um, so that's the kind of the downside of the smart TV approach. I think the problem Elisa is going to face is she says, I'll never buy a smart TV again. But as we were saying last week, it's going to become increasingly difficult to buy dumb TVs. Yeah, I think I think within another year or two, every single TV will be a smart TV, every single yeah. one of them. You're not going to have a choice. Yeah. Uh, we do want to thank our sponsor, OWC, MaxSales.com. Um, Something a little different this week, David. This is an eGPU chassis. Chase chassis. 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 Thank. I don't know why I can't say that today. <laughs> chassis. So, what is this thing, David? Why, why would anybody need something like this? So, this is um, a Thunderbolt three eGPU chassis, which uh, the Mac now supports, uh, and you can also get support on Windows. And this allows you to, even on a system without a replaceable graphics card. Which is almost every single Mac. Uh, yeah, and, and certainly, obviously, all the laptops and everything. It allows you yep. to put uh, you know, a killer high-end GPU and using the magic of Thunderbolt 3, um, have support for that on your computer. And that allows you to do rendering, obviously allows you to do um, um, kind of video editing and that sort of thing. Anything which needs, if you want real-time effects, you need a high-end GPU to do most laptops. And a lot of desktop machines nowadays can't do that. So you can plug this in over Thunderbolt 3 and route your video through it, uh, and uh, including you know high-end professional cards. Uh, so you could take uh, basically a consumer-level MacBook Pro, and it's your work computer at home. You're just messing around with it, but you go into the office, you plug a Helios FX into it, and all of a sudden it is a Final Cut Pro monster. Yeah. 
but you don't have to have that kind of power in the laptop itself where you don't really want that kind of power in the laptop because it's going to get hot. You're going to need a lot of cooling. It's going to kill your battery. So you put it externally, and it's just a peripheral. Um, This, I I don't think most people realize what kind of amazing technology that Apple uh, is finally allowing. PCs have been doing this for a long time. and It's about time that Apple did this because this means... From a professional level business, when it comes to you know graphic or uh, video and stuff like this, uh, AR, VR, you don't have to spend so much money on computers. They're almost replaceable yeah. uh, as a commodity product because it's more about this box sitting on your desk that you plug into when you need that kind of power. I think it's uh, hey, I think yeah. it's great. And the advantage, of course, as well, is that as GPUs improve, you can take out an old GPU and put a new one in. You don't need to replace your entire computer. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So it saves money in the long term. And if your computer dies, you know, uh, this computer you just beefed up with a brand new GPU and RAM and all this other stuff. Well, it, it, you outsource that, basically. Yeah. How long before we have something like this for RAM? Uh, I, I look. The, the, there's so much bandwidth on these Thunderbolt connections that uh, you could pretty much, you could probably, if I the wonder. architecture is right, you could probably outsource pretty much everything on the board. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of what I'm thinking. Yeah, addition. I mean, when you're adding a G, the reason that people add GPUs nowadays is they want access to the custom silicon on the mm-hmm. on the GPU, which can do high-end calculations it's it's like you know back in the old days we used to have math coprocessors for computers this is kind of that on on um you know hundreds of times more power so yeah. you can do bitcoin mining rendering anything that's um that's uh, maths intensive on these gpus so how long before you know if you want another uh, if you want another cpu um, is would it be possible to do that with Thunderbolt? What I yeah, think so. Say, what what happens if you want to add more RAM? Could you do that? You know, um, or as a kind of a secondary cache RAM or something like that. Obviously, you can use Thunderbolt three to add much more storage um, to a machine. The same way. Um, so we're almost yeah. talking about a, a, a computer itself. Yeah, yeah. So you can pick one of these up. They've got two different models. Uh, the Helio FX six. 50 is 389 and the bundle is 649 yeah so go or check that out or for a hundred dollars left they have one with a smaller power supply yep so um um yeah and, and obviously it's thunderbolt it's going to charge your computer over that same cable so um and you know we have we have in our office we have um we bought some new stands for our dell monitors that have a thunderbolt um dock built into them so we have um, the we have a US single USB C cable that comes off that and that plugs into our Dell laptops and that charges it. It sends video to the monitor uh, and gives us USB three full size USB three ports um, and VGA and all of that other stuff off one single cable. And everybody who tries them out comes into our office goes, "Wow, these are amazing! Where can I get one of these from?" It's so transformative. This is uh, compatible with both Mac and PC, by the way. Uh, yeah. they work. You can plug it into a Mac or a PC willy-nilly, and it's going to give you that performance boost no matter what platform of choice you're on. Um, <clears throat> let's get into the fun stuff. First, before we get into your list, let's revisit um, the, content, or the, uh, the feedback I got on mine last week. Mm-hmm. So the first one uh, was from a friend of mine named Joe Springs. I grew up with him. 
And he said he agreed on the top spot for certain, which was Sopranos slash Breaking Bad. And Eric Diaz said, I'm currently watching Black Mirror and it's very good. And Breaking Bad is seriously the best thing I've seen, I've ever seen. No wasted episodes or dialogue, a masterpiece. Better Call Saul is really good too. And Bob Odenkirk is doing an excellent job on it. I'm loving every moment of it as it gets to the merging point with Breaking Bad. Um, Beth Locke said, I think Six Feet Under was the best series she's ever watched. The final episode was spectacular. Uh, and I agree with her. Uh, yeah, I, on, I, we, we, that we, was a great we love, series. Yeah, we love Six Feet Under as well. But uh, I think I it got a little it. worse in the last few episodes, uh, last few seasons. But yeah. that that final s- episode. Ugh. Well, I, I actually think the whole final season because it went, it it it, it, it did kind of drag a bit in the middle, and then I, I think he really brought it in for the final season. I just uh, really remember that final episode. I don't remember yeah. the final season as much. So the fight, yeah, the final episode basically because the whole show was about. And undertakers and yep. uh, how working as an undertaker in this particular weird family might affect your perspectives of death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the final final episode showed the death of every single major character in the well, show. Well, they they went what it was like fifty years into the future, yeah. seventy years into the future, and you, you got to see each of them die and how they died and where they ended up. Um, it was it was yeah, it was powerful, powerful stuff. In fact, it was briefly on my list. Um, but then I had to make way for other things. So yeah, yeah definitely, uh, definitely a, a contender. Beth also said, I'm watching a pretty good series right now. Corner gas. It's out of Canada. Dan Knight from low and max said, uh, love corner gas. So I thought, what is this? So I went and I, I've watched about six or seven episodes. Yeah. It's a very simple show. Um, I don't want to say it's great acting. It's not, um, it's very much a Canadian comedy show. Um, but those are all positive things. It, it's it's harmless, goofy. It, it it almost harkens back to simple eighties comedy, yeah. TV. It, it, it's it's pretty good though. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Beth Lack said Shameless got better through the years, and she's been watching it for weeks now. I've never watched Shameless. No, I, I, I well I I've seen parts of the British version that came first, um, but yeah, it's not really my sort of thing. Eileen Hoffman said uh, there was only one great television series, MASH. Uh, and Owen Rubin said, I forgot how, Ma- how uh, about MASH. Great show. I, I don't think I would ever call MASH a great show. I think it was okay. Um, yeah, I, I know my, my father was a big fan of MASH. He used to go on about how great it was. To me, I, maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe uh, To me, whenever I watch MASH, I... I I didn't get it. I've got to be honest. I really didn't get it. The idea of them kind of making wise cracking aside gags while they're operating on people. I I, I just, it just didn't, I just never clicked with me. Uh, It was a defense mechanism. Um, And and, in wartime, that is actually pretty damn common that they would make fun and be, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, callous yeah because it's kind of like the dark humor thing that cops have yeah uh owen rubin said nice list i'd have to change out two for me not sure which two but i really like the short-lived now and again and would have to add stargate i don't remember now and again no i don't either uh stargate i never got into stargate because it was out at the same time as deep space nine Mm -hmm. and i love ds9 yeah but 
I I don't well, know. I ne- it, yeah, Stargate I never watched, was. Yeah, hmm. I I never watched Stargate at the time because I watched the movie and kind of thought the movie was was you know didn't really make very good use of what what I thought was quite a good idea. Um, I I kind of binge watched the whole of Stargate many years. In fact, virtually after it finished or as yeah. it was finishing. Uh, and I loved it. I really did. And I, I en- really enjoyed it as a show. So I watched all of it. And I watched the spin-offs as well. I, I watched all of them and I enjoyed them all. Um, you'll, I'll, I'll talk about why it's not on my list when we get to the list. <laughs> Owen also said, um, I like the Larry Sanders show, but not sure it would make my top 10 list. Star Trek Toss, the original series, because I watched it live as a teenager and it was amazing back then. So yeah. that would, uh, so that it, another one. So that would be another one. And while not great for many, I was a Space 1999 fan. Yeah, I guess my list would be very different. <laughs> uh, well, I, I really like Space 1999 is a, is a, is a, it was done by the people who did Thunderbirds. Um, and it was a live action show. Yeah. And I love um, the spaceship in it though. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's what was really brilliant about it is the, the world they built for the show to exist in was fabulous. The show itself not quite as good it was the first season was very slow paced and hippie um and that wasn't so great and then the second season they effectively fired half the cast and then they brought in the infamous fred freiberger as a producer who was the guy who produced the final season of star trek the original series yeah who was responsible for things like Spock's brain and stuff like that. Really, things which are generally considered the very worst of Star Trek. He came to Space 1999, and he did exactly the same thing there. He changed it, made it a very different show, um, and it wasn't doing that well already, and the complete change of tone and the silliness he brought to it just killed it off. Um, but you, you're right, the, the great thing about Space 1999 wasn't the show itself, it was it was the setting they built for it, and the ships, uh, and, you know, they kind of built something that was really coherent and worked. Everybody I know who's ever been seen Space 1999 wants to go to Moonbase Alpha. Oh, sure. You know? I, I remember it. Yeah. Travis Olson, he's a guy I work with, said, Community, great series. Takes off halfway through season one. Last season was meh. Um, never really watched Community. I... I I don't know. I, I read so many, you know, behind closed doors um, stories about it, especially with yeah. Chevy Chase, that it was yeah. so such a toxic work environment that, I don't know, I just, it kind of turned me off and I never gave it a shot. Yeah. Guy Sero goes for um, the irrelevant funny and says, sorry, but TV went straight down the toilet once they took my mother, the car, and Mr. Ed off air. <clears throat> well, that's Guy. That's Guy. Uh, Dan Knight. Yeah. Uh, Low and Mac, and he hits his first one right here, and this is the one I was talking about at the top yeah. of the show, Firefly. And I went, oh, God dang it. How the hell did I miss Firefly? It's one of my favorite shows yeah. of all time. I love – it would have bumped a top uh, – easily bumped a couple shows off my top ten list. It was on my list, and then I moved it off. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, he said, The Prisoner, original, not the A&E abomination. Mm-hmm. X-Files, although lacking consistency, and at least one or two of the Star Trek TV series deserve consideration. Sliders, for an honorable mention. And last, Cindy Goodison said, For me, Arrested Development would be in a top spot. Um, not the last series of Arrested Development. That was terrible. Just yeah. where they tell the same story, but from everybody else's perspective. And uh, mm-hmm. it was just, I, I didn't like it at all. It was just terrible. Uh, but up until the last season, I, I really liked Arrested Development. 
but you have to be in the right frame of mind to watch Arrested Development. Yeah. It's not one you can just, oh, I'll just watch an episode of this. No, it'll mess you up for a while. Yeah. Um, but that's uh, wrapping up mine. Let's get into yours, David. Here is your so, yeah. top ten. So, so let me lay out my ground rules for this, because I think many of the shows we've just talked about would have appeared on this list had I not had these ground rules. So first of all, I, I decided that where there were shows that, that I, I deemed to be quite similar um, – I would choose what I thought would be my favourite one. So, um, you know, that'll come out as we go through. Uh, and also, I I tried to do a mix of genres because otherwise, it, you know, depending on how I'm feeling, sometimes, you know, I, I might have a, 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 a list that's all science fiction, for instance, because I right. like a lot of science fiction, um, which is fine, except, again... Goes, you don't always you, like it all the time. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I wanted to kind of reflect a, a broad mix of what I want, because I only I don't only just watch science fiction, so I wanted to make sure there was other things here on the list. Yep. Um, and also, as well, I, as I was saying before, I've tried trying to avoid anything that's too new to give you give myself the opportunity to give it a chance to breathe and age and see whether it holds up or not sure um so so that that's kind of what i approach now in terms of this is not strict like you know one to ten where the the one at the top is the best and the ten is the worst this this is kind of a, a, a more of a of ten ten shows that i really enjoyed and um i you know so, i take any of them really so what's the first one for you? So the first one is Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which I think is my favorite of all of the Star Trek series. Uh, undoubtedly. I think yeah. it's it's an amazing, amazing uh, series. In fact, my very first AOL screen name was DS9, DS9-2. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, love Deep yeah. Space Nine. And the reason I liked it was because it took kind of the idea of Star Trek, but it, it did the twist on it. It made it darker, which to me made it a little bit more real. Uh, absolutely. You know, it wasn't just the, you know, the Federation is great and, and is perfect and everybody should look up to it. And and it really kind of got on the underbelly of that. And it, what what do you do in that sort of circumstance? And it was the first, certainly, Star Trek type show to do that. Um, and I think they did a really, really great job. It had its it had its bad moments throughout the years but i think the other thing that ds9 had going for it was a really great ensemble cast yeah uh, especially thought, when they brought Worf in, which i yeah. thought when i when i first heard they were going to bring Worf on to ds9 i thought oh they don't he's a next generation guy yeah. they don't need Worf on here but they explored his character i think in in much better depth than they ever did on um the next generation and they did a good job with him on next yeah. generation that's how good ds9 was they made Worf a better character and and that's the other thing that i think that's why it pips the next generation for me which obviously i i absolutely loved as well but the next generation was always about the main characters whereas yes. deep space nine there was characters who who basically were just almost like filler to start with yeah. And and the ones that engaged the best with the writers and the audience, they turned virtually into principals by the end of it. Uh, and you got to find about their backstories and their motivations and, you know, what was going on with them. And I loved that. You know, I absolutely loved that, that they took, they took you know, uh, Quark's nephew and uh, the tailor on the promenade and, the you know, some of the bad guys and that sort of thing. And they turned them into big, full, full-fledged characters. I thought that was great. Yeah, it didn't yeah. Nod become a uh, Starfleet cadet did, at one yeah. point? Yeah. yeah. I, Deep Space Nine was so good that they actually had a war yeah. 
for what three seasons? Three, three and a half seasons, I think it was. Oh, uh, yeah. with the Dominion. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. Um, Odo was a great character. I mean, I liked everybody on that series. It was. I agree with you. I, it should probably have been in my top list. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't. So now, what's your next one? Yeah, well, well, let me just say, for that reason, because rather than have a list of honorable mentions, I'm going to mention a few. For the reason that DS9's on there, I've excluded all the other Star Trek shows. Mm-hmm. I also excluded things like Battlestar Galactica and um, Babylon 5 and kind of similar type, and Stargate, to be honest, for, for similar sort of things. Is, uh, you know, that's a big sci-fi show. And, and to me, that's the one that, that kind of stands out for me as my favorite. And so those other shows I mentioned, I loved as well, but I didn't think it was worthwhile putting more of them in the list. Firefly is yep. definitely on there too. So my second one is, is, is a show called Horizon. Now, I, you may not be as aware of this because this is one of the British shows. I am shows. not. Yeah, this is, Horizon is basically, it's a, it's a, it's a bit like Nova uh, on PBS. Oh, I know what Horizon is, sure. Right, yeah, so, yeah so it's, it's a science BBC, show. It's the BBC scientific documentary strand. Yeah. It's been going for about 40 years. Yeah, and the thing is about Horizon is that um, the BBC does a lot of really great science documentaries. But you can guarantee with the Horizon ones, it will always be interesting. And even if you've... Even if it's old, like a few years old, or you, or you think you might have seen it before, they're always worth another watch. They always um, they take often which are very complicated subjects, uh, and they kind of boil them down into something that that is understandable and relatable. And over an hour will really kind of open your mind up to some of the the big things in in science today. You know, cosmology, astrophysics, biology. Um, nuclear physics all of this sort of stuff and the, and they the the horizon also often talks about the real world implications of of these things as well um, right. and it's done in a, a slightly less um it, it's yeah it's a slightly more um kind of level pace than nova which sometimes can be a bit over dramatic yes so, absolutely uh, yeah and and i watch horizons all the yeah i mean on the iPlayer now you can get loads and loads of them i just watch anytime i, I can't think of something to watch i will watch a science documentary on on the bbc iPlayer. so yeah cool yeah the third one now and i want again i don't know whether you might be familiar with this because it only existed for six episodes but this was a mind blower when it came out 1998 it's called ultraviolet it was on uh channel four here in the uk it's a british series um, as one of these ones is just written by one guy and basically this was a modern take on vampire hunting and it was absolutely phenomenal it was so good it basically said there's this guy's a police sergeant and his best friend disappears the night before his wedding and he thinks he's been murdered and he starts investigating it and he kind of finds out he's been turned into a vampire and he gets pulled into this paramilitary secret organization that's funded by the vatican that's having a secret war against the vampires but it's a very modern take on vampires so for instance they they use high-tech weaponry they use bullets with carbon they use carbon bullets because that's like staking a vampire in the heart they have um vampires in the show they don't have any like mystical powers so you know they they're strong and they're quick and everything but they can't do changing to bats or or right you know any you know uh, persuading you or anything like that but um what they can't do is they don't appear on just like they they have no reflection they can't use any sort of electronic communication device at all they can't speak on the phone they don't appear on cctv and so the guns they use have uh, like a video monitor on the top with a camera so if you point at somebody and they don't appear on the thing you know they're a vampire 
Hmm. Yeah, and, and so the whole thing was really, really well thought out, and it built in a in so it was only six episodes. It built this very quickly this universe where you think, yeah, if vampires were real, this is probably how people would would deal with them nowadays. Um, and it, and it also had this really kind of dark tone. It was all about moral lines, and the guy he he gets pulled into this world and becomes recruited into this organization. They're not called vampires; they're called Code Fives. Five being the Roman. Uh, letter v of course um so you know it was a real kind of smart modernistic take on how you might do vamp uh, like a vampire police procedural and the whole point was that it was gritty and it was dark the guy had a lot of moral qualms about what the organization he was working for were doing whether they were doing the right thing uh, and whether the vampires really were evil as he was being told or whether perhaps they were just misunderstood and all of this it was a great great show only lasted for six episodes the guy who wrote it resisted writing anymore he said no it's like um it's like a miniseries and it should be left sure. at that if you ever get the chance to watch it i would recommend it it was a great show your next one is a show that i really really enjoy myself yeah so this is last night with john oliver uh and i excluded things like uh because of this i excluded things like uh stephen colbert the daily show real time with bill maher any of those kind of political satire shows because i think last night with john oliver is the best one um, um i would have to disagree i think i i love i i would say it's number two i think the best is the daily show with john stewart he's been doing he had done it so long and his yeah. take was so i actually want john Al, or uh john stewart to run for office to be honest yeah i, th- well, I think he's that smart yeah. the reason i excluded john stewart i did think about it is, is the reality is that because of when it was on i didn't watch it that often every time i watched it i absolutely loved the daily show but but you know kind of when when it was in at its prime it wasn't as easy to get hold of over here um, but what i so- like about what you say here with uh, with john oliver is that they go into depth on one subject yeah, using language that John Stewart could never have used. No, um, and it, he and didn't have these goofy segments that were hit and miss. Yeah, yeah, it, and and yeah, John Oliver. He's just his delivery is is just super spot on. I mean, it's spot yeah. on. So so yeah, this it's very much my favorite. Next one, I, I'm sure, is one that you would agree with. Uh, is a great show. Is the IT Crowd? Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe again, it's a cultural type thing because it has a no. I get it. I get. I get. I I get British sensibilities. I mean, I've been dealing with you Brits for friggin' (laughs) fifteen years. Yeah. Um, No, I I get it. Uh, There was nothing that I didn't get about the show. Mm -hmm. But you got to remember when this came out, I actually was in IT, so it hit a little bit too close to home for me. (laughs) I was like, ugh. I didn't need to watch a show on something that I lived on a daily basis, and some of those goofier stuff. It was still spot on. Yeah, this the, the I mean, it's certainly true that a lot of people who work in RT are a little bit weird. Yeah, yeah, will often isolate themselves in a part of the building that's like their little domain. Yeah, don't like outsiders. Yep. Um, have very weird personal habits and and hobbies and that sort of thing. And yet, fundamentally, they are still. You know, if you get to know them, they're okay people. Um, and and yeah, the the, the thing about the IT crowd is just hilariously funny absolutely hilariously funny so um yeah always enjoyed that one uh my next one is futurama i think um a very underrated show i i know it has its critics um and i i i, I just i maybe it's because you know i love sci-fi and i love i love 
technology and all that sort of thing. I, I think Futurama does more interesting things because of it's it's more referential maybe than The Simpsons is, uh, and perhaps is a little bit less constrained by its format than The Simpsons is. Um, yeah. So I've always enjoyed Futurama f- uh, more, even though I think it's been less consistent maybe than The Simpsons, uh, and obviously hasn't hasn't lived for as long. But I, you know, Futurama I, I've always found to be. Um, very very funny and I always enjoy watching it and sometimes I watch The Simpsons and I don't really enjoy it because it just feels like it's retreading the same old ground whereas Futurama always felt like it was doing something different every show uh, I would agree with you on both those points yeah next one is Top Gear which, which um, I had on mine yeah and um, I just just watched the first episode of the new series The Grand Tour yesterday yep um, and you know what those guys have still got it the, they not do, every, but not everything in the Grand Tour works as well right. as it did in to, in Top Gear, and Top Gear kind of really had a heyday when it was absolutely at the top of its game, and it did start to go off towards the end. But when they were on it, they were absolutely on it. Um, I feel like they're treading water right now. I too watched the last episode of um, uh, Wow Grand Tour. Grand Tour. Um, it was good, but. I don't know. I just feel like I've seen this before. Yeah, I I, th- I think it probably is. I, I the difficulty I suspect they have is that they they signed up to do effectively Top Gear two with Amazon, and they want to deliver that because that's what Amazon paid for and expected. I, yeah. I think once they get to, there's been talk of them changing the format. Now they've finished the third season because they had a yeah a three the four season, season is there's no tent there's no audience it's just them out on yeah. the road and that's well, what people whatever. want. Anyways. Well, I think I think you know I I suspect they're probably feeling a little bit hamstrung by the format they impose on themselves, and I think yeah. it will be I think it will improve when they can get away from that. So. My my issue, and, and it really kind of hit home with this new season, is they're getting old. Yeah. I almost feel like they're getting too old to be doing these hijink things anymore. You yeah. know, when, when Jeremy, and look, Jeremy Clarkson wasn't a spring chicken at the height of Top Gear either. Yeah. But when he's in a mobile home that's way too tall and the wind kind of catches it and it almost tips him over and he starts going, bah, driving down the highway, that is hilarious. Yeah. An eighty-year-old Jeremy Clarkson doing that, and yeah. not so much. I, I mean, sometimes I, they they repeat a lot of the specials, the old Top Gear specials on here, and sometimes you 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 pick them up and you, and it makes you realize how old they are because it's yeah. you know they look so much younger. I mean, he's yeah. fifty-eight now. I mean, he is he's kind of getting on a bit. Um, the, the real older. worry, the real worry, is that one day they will do something and really seriously hurt themselves you know well one of them did last year yeah well richard hammond has has history of uh, crashing yes crashing cars there were some good jokes about it on the new episode he uh he he, i mean had a much more serious crash a few years before that if you remember Um, i do and uh you know that very nearly did kill him but um, yeah you you are right um but they'll have to uh they'll have to cope with that i guess as they get i love the guys don't get me wrong i'll watch anything they put out there but and and they all work better together than separately because I've watched um, specials from each one of them on their own and they're just they fall flat because they need each other. All, yeah. They need all three of them to really really work. It just yeah. it's just the way it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my next now show. Your is, next one is. Oof. My next show is House. Yeah. So this is um, again. There was a lot of similar type of shows that I threw out. 
to choose House my favourite. You know, so all, effectively all the medical dramas. Effectively, um, House is my favourite just because it was so quirky uh, and the main character was so well played. Uh, my problem with House is, and I, and I liked House. Julie and I used to watch House together, but he was such an ass. Well, to me, that was what was that was that what was so good about it. I know, but. You want to kind of root for the main character, and towards the end of the series, you just couldn't root for the guy anymore. He was so self-destructive. He was so callous about anybody else. Um, he knew he was the most brilliant guy in the room. He, he, the way he just kind of self-destructed was just painful to watch. Yeah, I well, I enjoyed it. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> you know, again, Brilliantly acted, I think, though. I, yeah, I think it does come down slightly to. Uh, different sensibilities um maybe um but yeah i i i think of all of the kind of the medical dramas for me house was always the most entertaining because you never knew agree. what he was going to do i would 100 you know? percent agree of all the medical procedural type shows this yeah. was by far the best yeah mm-hmm. um number nine is south park another one i'm really ticked off that i did not put on my list <laughs> south park they've they've, they've been doing it so long I know, but but I I see. I started watching it right at the beginning, and it was so fresh yeah. and new. Yep. Yep. And they were doing things nobody was doing on TV. And they, you know, you kind of thought, oh, they've really pushed it this week. They'll back off next week. Next week was worse. Next yeah. week was worse. And I couldn't ha- believe they could get away with some of the stuff they did. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And I'm. One of my favorite memories of all time, actually, is going to see uh, the movie Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. And that first 10 minutes when they have the Terrence and Phillips song, I have never been in a, a movie theater that's full of people who are all virtually, they, most of us could not breathe. We were laughing so hard. Yep. You know, um, and, it, and, it, and I, I, a lot of people's critics say, well, it's just crude humor. And, you know, you, you, crude humor is always funny. Had, yes, but it always had uh some kind of a bigger meaning oh absolutely it always has a satirical edge to it, it use the crude humor if you, if you just look at it as crude humor you don't get it because actually it's saying you know that that's a brilliant conceit of it is it's using crude little children and you know what kids of that age nine-year-old kids are crude yeah yes. they do know all the words and they do talk like that among themselves some of them yeah and they are you know, like Eric Cartman, some of them are little Machiavellian swines. Yeah, yeah who are out for themselves. Ah, and- give me some cheesy pops. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and to use that as a mirror to actually reflect on how crazy adult society is, I think yeah. was a brilliant conceit. And you know what? It's never, it's never aged for me. I can watch South Park today, and it still kills me with laughter. Mom, Tom Cruise is in the closet again. <laughs> Uh, they skewered everybody, and they didn't care what political party, what nation. They just they didn't care. Yeah, and that's they they literally had no fear. Yeah, and that's saying something, especially in today's day and age. Yeah. Ugh. Mm-hmm. And then my final one is um, I don't know if you've ever seen the UK version of this. I've Life seen I've seen clips. Right. You should. It's a show you should watch. If this the, this is on here to represent the police procedural. Uh, and to m- my mind, this is one of the best ones that's ever been made because it's so, again, it's such a twisted idea. And they pulled it off to perfection. Yeah, so Life it's on one Ma- of those didn't translate well to the U.S. show. No, the U.S. show was awful because um, yep. uh, they just didn't get it. No. So th- with the British version, 
the whole point about the British version is you, just like the main character, you didn't really understand what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. So he's in an accident, and uh, while he's trying to stop a serial killer from killing his girlfriend, yeah, and he wakes up in 1973. In Manchester, 1973, maybe this had a bit of resonance to me because I live in Manchester, but they perfectly realised what 70s Manchester was like and what police in the 70s were like in Britain. Yeah, they were rough, they were tough, they were corrupt, you know, they um, didn't mind leaning on people to get what they wanted, and that yet there were other people who were, you know, were, were bad ones, but they were friends or informants, and they got away with murder, sometimes quite literally. Um, and, and this guy from, you know, from the 2000s, who, with modern police procedure, gets thrown into this environment. And what's what's brilliant about life on mars over the two or three seasons they did it is is how he learns to adapt to it and he learns to recognize the value of the people versus the you know the people who were living in that time versus perhaps some of the shallower people from where he's from and yeah the whole series you don't really understand whether it's real or whether it's a fantasy it's in his mind or, yeah. yeah whether whether he's really traveling time or whether this is something that he's constructed they did a follow-up series called ashes to ashes which was basically had was the same idea but it was a, a woman cop who came from the 80s um wasn't quite as good wasn't quite as realized but the the other thing is that life on mars has one of the true brilliant t- police characters of all time in it in the uh, the dci gene hunt you know who is the who's the boss there he's just the what the guy who plays him is just absolutely brilliant i might have to go and watch it yeah yeah i would would really really recommend it it's a great great show and and to me probably a a lot of stuff that's very popular nowadays um certainly out of british i think i personally think british does tv does police procedural better than the american ones do we do these shorter ones that are much grittier much more realistic in my mind than some of the glossy american ones so some of the ones that have been winning uh, emmys and, and baftas and that sort of thing recently like um line of duty and uh what's the other one uh, the bodyguard is it the bodyguard yeah body uh, anyway there was there was one about a police bodyguard and everything yeah i um, watched just it. recently yeah they could only exist because of this show uh, and shows like luther and stuff like that these gritty self-written much more self-contained police procedurals that we do over here um and and i think this one is one of the best of them so great list david i don't obviously agree with a lot of it because i don't know some of these shows well um but i think that's why i thought this would be fun because now there's a couple shows that i'm going to explore i'm going to look at ultraviolet because it sounds very interesting i definitely want to check out the uk version of life on mars mm-hmm. um with that we're going to wrap up this episode of tech fan we encourage you guys to send us uh your feedback it's the show at techfanpodcast.com you can also go to mymac.com or techfanpodcast.com and leave a message there and of course as uh we showed on this episode hit us up on twitter and uh we'll read your feedback yeah. here we got, so, we got something we got something in from longtime contributor Brendan last week, so we will come back to that next week, Brendan. Yeah, put it in the show notes because I didn't yeah, see it. I will do. See you next week, David. See you then.